0: The last few weeks we've kind of started our sermons with a little bit of nostalgia when I've been here. We've been going to Philadelphia since our family went there, thinking about things like Rocky and whatnot. Well, I'm going to switch it up a little bit with my nostalgia today, so I want to ask you a question. There's some of you in here who, uh, you know, I'm going to be able to answer this really question, or you're going to answer it really easy. Can you think of a favorite teacher, one whom has really made an impact on you? Now... There's some teachers sitting in the room, so if you're sitting next to them, make sure that you're nudging them right there. That would be a good thing. But every one of us, except maybe the smallest in the room, has had a teacher who's been speaking into our lives at some point. I promise you that. But the real question we have to ask ourselves is, why is it that that person that comes comes to your mind right now? And I'm going to say most likely, it's not just the what they taught you, but it's the why you found them so impactful. I mean, I mean, it may be a number of different things. I can look throughout life and go, well, you know, there was my third grade teacher, Mrs. Lisi. I mean, she was tremendous. And in a time when I had to be pulled aside for some special things in class and taught that would have gotten me uh, I mean, ridiculed by the other kids, she always taught, I mean, she always taught me with such... I and mean, kindness and compassion right through the things that I was challenged with. I can't remember anything she taught me in third grade. Well, maybe I still remember it. I just don't know that it was third grade. But it's really Mrs. Lisi who truly showed that kindness and compassion. Or maybe it's Mr. Alex. He was my high school physics teacher. And we can look at that and go, he really got me going on science. I loved learning science with Mr. Alex. Well, if it hadn't been for that, then maybe I don't go through the nuclear training pipeline and become a submariner. And if you think about it, as the dominoes fall, if that didn't happen 30 years later, I might not have ended up at Purdue, which means I wouldn't be here in Lafayette, which means I might not be standing right here as a preacher. So we'll take uh, thankfulness for those things. Of course, there's also teachers that are outside of the classroom, too. I mean, in my time in the Navy, there's Captain Rubenstein. He taught me the art of navigation. I mean, there's Captain Richardson. He I mean, took my, le- my skills in tactics to a ne- new level. He was also the one that saw something in me, that put me in line for command of a submarine. But what about things that are even more important than that? How about our spiritual lives? You know, I'm not standing here without a variety of teachers who have changed my heart and introduced me to something far greater than science, navigation, or even submarine tactics. I mean, I think back to Pastor Roger in Hawaii because it was his messages that broke through the hardness of my heart that I might see my need for the gospel. And then there was Steve Walters. He was our pastor in Omaha. Steve was the one who showed me what it truly meant to have a church where we wanted to welcome everyone who came through the door. I mean, as he would say every week. I mean, There's no perfect people here. And if you are, guess what? You just messed up our church. I mean, but those are just a couple of examples for me. I'm confident that we can all look around us and identify the teacher in our life who has made a significant impact. And as we do, we can give thanks. It should spur our hearts to thanksgiving that we've been blessed to have these teachers in our lives. And then we can also give thanks, not just for that, but that the teacher themselves was a gift to us. And thinking about where that came from, because it was God who ultimately gave them the gifting needed so that they could have the type of impact they had on our lives. You see, this summer we've been talking about hope for fruitful service. And in the first part of the service, you may recall, we explored and we, had, we I mean, week after week went through the phrase, making every effort to add to your saving faith blank. And then we filled in that blank each week with things like godliness, brotherly kindness. And we walked through that. Well, now we've pivoted in the second half of the summer to a discussion of the giftings given by God to each believer that we might use them in fruitful service. And specifically, we're talking about the spiritual gifts that God has promised to His children. I want to recall again the truth which comes from Peter in First Peter. As each one of us, remember that is, each one of us who's a follower of Jesus Christ has received a special gift. And he tells us, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Are you thankful for that? I know I am but because it means that Christ has chosen not simply to save us and leave us empty-handed, unequipped for what would continue in this lifetime. Instead, Jesus looks at each and every one of us, knowing us better than we know ourselves, knowing the challenges that we will face in our lives, and then He handpicks spiritual gifts in just the right amount for each and every one of His children. Now, if, you've been, if you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, you might ask then, well, what are some of those gifts? Well, there are se- several passages in God's Word that list these spiritual gifts. Now, we specifically say it in that way because we recognize that the gifts themselves, or the lists of gifts in different places in the Word, they're not all the same, which really tells us none of those lists is intended to be exhaustive but rather to illustrate the concept. And so the one that we've chosen to unwrap this summer is found in Romans. Romans, specifically, chapter 12, where it says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So that should tell us God didn't leave us all the same. Okay? Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We've got something to do with it. And so then he goes through this list, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, in he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Well, we've covered giving and mercy the past two weeks, and today we're going to have the privilege of finding hope in the Spirit's gifts of teaching and exhortation. And so to learn more about that, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 13. If you're using the Bibles that are in the chairs along with you, you're going to go to page 163 in the back section of the Bible. While you're turning there, I want you to think about just a couple of thoughts of the process that we're going to use this morning, because the gifts of teaching and exhortation, even as they're explained in this passage from Paul to Timothy, they are they are speaking, first and foremost, to pastors. So then why am I sharing it with all of you? Well, I'm not going to be just talking to myself today. Because it's a very short walk that arrives at all sorts of teaching positions within the local church. But then there also are other people elsewhere in any given week. In the church, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, small group leaders, counselors... And we benefit from those teachers week in and week out. I know our family does, and I pray that that's the impact across all of our church family. And so we see and we receive this gift of teaching as it's flowing through the teachers. We have to ask, if the Lord is giving us gifts, how will we use them? Where are they coming from? Well, they're coming because men and women who have the ability to teach the Word of God in ways that help draw people to Christ and then equip them to be more like God's Son. That is the Lord's gift to us in and through this to some extent or another. So then we should ask also, though, what about outside the church? Is this spiritual gift limited only to pastors and those who are going to teach inside the church? Well, I'd say no to that, because much of what we're going to study today could also be applied to parents. Mothers, fathers... Moms and dads today, you're teachers too. We're to raise our children up in the instruction of the Lord. There's teaching to be had. What about the teachers that are outside of the specific church ministry? We've got lots of them. Some of them already back in the classroom and others getting ready to go back to school, whether it's in homeschool, public school, or in Christian school. And if God has gifted them in teaching... Well, then the principles here today can apply to them as well. And so, throughout this, what I want to do is weave that through, not just to think about as a teacher of the Word that you all need to listen to God's Word that I need to understand, but I think we all need to understand that. And so, if you will, join me as we read God's Word. I'm going to go to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do, as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so based on this passage in 1 Timothy and what we see in the whole of God's Word, we're going to unpack this text finding five challenges for those called to be teacher. So, challenges. I'm not talking about the challenges like a hurdle that we've got to get over or an obstacle between us, but challenges as in when I'm challenging you to take this step, go and do. So if you have the, gift, the spiritual gift of teaching, these are challenges that we are called to do. The first challenge that brings hope is where we find the passage pointing our eyes as we can, and in hope, we can embrace the teacher's focus. Look at how Paul started. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and teaching. We simply have to start here because of how much this entire section of Scripture has to do with the what a teacher is going to focus on and prioritize And so if God has given you the gift of teaching in any way, shape, or form, you have to decide what are you going to do with it? What are you going to focus on? What are you going to prioritize? How much emphasis are you going to place not just on developing that gift, but on what you're going to use it in order to do? And when we're talking about teaching in the church, the focus first and foremost has to be give attention to God's Word. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Paul was one of Timothy's teachers, and so he's challenging him. He's challenging him. But let's first take a look at how did Paul see Timothy? How did he see him? How did he understand him? Take a look at how Paul described Timothy in Philippians 2. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. And this is what he's telling him about Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Why? For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. This is the heart of Timothy that Paul is describing. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. "...that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me." That's high praise coming from someone like the Apostle Paul. Now many many Bible teachers believe that the letters to Timothy were written after Paul had been released from his first imprisonment, but that meant it was in a time when Timothy had been left behind to pastor the church at Ephesus. And Timothy was to address a number of problems that were lingering there. And so what did Paul want Timothy to use as his source of truth as he sought to address the issues with the church at Ephesus? Well, he wanted him to use the Word of God. We see it in the second letter where it says, Preach the Word. Why? Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. That's what he's called to do. Because for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, other teachers who are not focused on God's Word. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth. And we'll turn aside to myths. So consider what Timothy would have been facing in his pastoral ministry. They wanted their ears to be tickled. Well, that's why I would tell you that any person who serves in any teaching role, any role here at Faith, well, they would say, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for the the men and women who attend right here at this church because there is one thing that I know is that they don't want their ears tickled. They want to hear what the Bible says. They want to hear what the Bible means. They want to hear, how do I apply the Bible to my everyday life? And so, Paul is telling Timothy, give your focus to God's Word because it's what they need. And then he also tells him, give attention to exhortation. Now I have to admit, when I hear the word exhortation, the first thought that comes into my mind is, more of a harsh command or a blunt calling out of what I'm doing wrong. I'm being exhorted, but if that's the actual understanding that I have it, it means I'm not listening to the real words that Paul was using in the scriptures. Because we have to go back to the original Greek, where the word was parakaleo, the coming alongside and speaking. This is actually a far more beautiful concept than the idea of, I'm exhorting you, but now I'm coming alongside in order to speak the truth. In many cases, to encourage an ethical course of action. I mean, but notice what this is not. That's not me just going out to the bus stop here and standing and crying out to the word the world and telling them what they're all doing wrong. It's not me walking around the community center and finding someone who's not doing something that I like, telling them and correcting them and then sending them on their way and I go back to my office thinking I'm all righteous because I've kept a great environment here at the community center. That's not exhortation. Exhortation is the walking alongside of those who God has blessed you to be a teacher for. It's also why I'm so thankful to be right here with all of you. I mean, I'm glad I'm not somewhere speaking in an auditorium to 10,000 people that I don't know. Why? Because I can't walk along with 10,000 people. But I can walk with you. And then what we need to see from there is that exhortation, including the coming alongside part, we do that, and then we're also called to focus on our teaching. The sharing of the meaning of the text. Or again, from the Greek, the teaching or the didaskalia, the systematic explanation of the word of God. I want you to look at an example that Paul and Timothy might have been considering from the Old Testament when they think about what did teaching look like. Look back in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, and Sarabiah, the Levites, explained the law to the people, while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. That's teaching. And if Paul tells Timothy to give his attention to that, how powerful a concept is that? Then we come in to place our word upon the public reading of Scripture. And whether you're a pastor, a parent, a school teacher, a coach, oh, that. Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture of the teaching that you hear when you stand up to speak? Now that may be most clear as a pastor that we're teaching the Word, but in every teaching opportunity that the Lord places before us, Paul would still call us to embrace the focus on the Word as the foundation for whatever you're teaching. It doesn't have to be specifically explaining the Word to be settled on a foundation of the Word so that what you're teaching, they can see the glory of the God in it all. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you throughout the week to be praying for your pastors on Mondays and Tuesdays because that's when we're spending the time really digging in and putting our final preparations on our sermons during the week. Now that all has to happen because of the many other people in our church who have... I mean, Things to do to help us to be able to prepare for Sunday. It would be unkind of me to finish my sermon on Saturday night because Kelsey's got to get some bulletins out. Sam actually has to figure out what I'm saying in Spanish. So, all of that being said, please be praying for your pastors as we get ready and we give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and to teaching. Now, the second challenge that Paul is giving to Timothy is one that really comes to all of us as well. He tells us to avoid the teacher's pitfall. Look at verse 14 where he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying of on hands by the presbytery. So ask, so what's the pitfall here? The neglecting of the Spirit of the gift or the Spirit's gift of teaching. Then we ask, why might I do that? Might why would I neglect the Spirit's gift of teaching that I've been given? Well, could it be that I'm neglecting that gift out of fear? Fear that someone won't like what God's Word actually has to say? Or that they just want to argue with me about all the things that God's Word wants to say, and I don't want to get into that. Well, Paul was talking to Timothy about that too when we look earlier in the book. He told him, For some men, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be the teachers of the law. They want to be the teachers, but they're not focused on the right things. Why? Because even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they are making confident assertions. Who wants to be in a constant fight with people who are talking like that? Well, the answer is, if God's given us the gift of teaching, we need to not neglect it. We need to know that sometimes even the hard conversations have to be had. We know that Timothy struggled with fear. It's why, Tim, it's why Paul told him in the second letter, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So if there is anything that would cause us to fear using the gift, Paul's challenging us. Do not neglect the gift. I mean, that's why he said just before this, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, you might be here this morning and God has given you the gift to teach at some level. And then you look at your plans for this morning. You look at your plans throughout the week. Are you neglecting that gift? Do you teach somewhere else in some other role Monday through Saturday? Why not on Sunday? What do you think the Lord wants you to do? He's calling us, challenging us. To not neglect the gift, but to stir it up. And so, if you feel that God may possibly have given you the gift of teaching in any way, I want you to come and talk to your pastors and say, is there a role for teaching, maybe on Sunday, maybe at some other place, but I don't want to neglect the gift. And in that, what we're doing is we're respecting the church's affirmation affirmation as well. When he said, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, Why? Which was bestowed on you through the church. And in that time, through the prophetic utterance with the laying out of hands by the presbytery. And you might be looking at that going, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Well, you're right. We don't. But the principle is, let your church family help you determine whether or not you're gifted in this area. Maybe I'm going to try, and then I just need to receive the feedback. Or maybe somebody's seen something in me, and they're calling me out to it if you're regularly being asked to teach in a ministry, whether it's children's ministry, your small group, or somewhere else, well then ask yourself, what's being, how is the church affirming what God may have given me? And don't neglect the gracious teaching that the Lord has given you. And then our next challenge that Paul gives to Timothy, and thus Paul gives to us, is we are to pursue the teacher's priorities. Paul said in verse 15, take pains in these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. You see, again, if you have the gift of teaching, it takes effort to be put into the teaching to grow in it. And so we do so by immersing ourselves in exercising this gift. John Stott, a commentator of this letter, said, Paul goes on to to Timothy's need for concentration and perseverance. Saying, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. The second of these two exhortations to Timothy means literally, be in them. That is, immerse yourself in these matters. Devote yourself to them with all your heart and soul. The Revised English Bible catches the emphasis well. Make these matters your business. Make them your business. You're absorbing interest. Now I would encourage us all to pause and to think about all the teachers in our lives and all the teachers in the life of this church, people who may be exercising this God-given gift and giving it a high priority. When they do so, they're taking pains in these things. They're being absorbed in them. And so consider the privilege and the responsibility that we all have as we watch others who are exercising the gift of teaching and how we benefit directly or indirectly by their work. So ask yourselves today, how can we be a blessing to those who are taking pains in this, who are immersing themselves in it? Well, let's start with parents. Parents, men and women who are generally seeking to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Do you look for opportunities to commend others around you for their parenting? To be able to point out something that maybe they don't, get, that they don't see on a day-to-day basis about their children? A praise. What they're doing well. How they're working with their children. Then you also might have to ask, what about how can you come alongside and offer to help? Maybe you have a special skill or area of knowledge that you could offer to a homeschooling parent that would say they're immersing themselves in the teaching of their children, but maybe you've got a skill that would help them take some of that and allow them to work even more. And what about the people in our church family who teach in the public schools? even right next door here at the Paramount Schools, right here in this building at the Crossing, do we see the depth of the ministry opportunities? I hope you're also thinking about the men and women who are teaching at Faith Christian School. With Kathy there as a biblical counselor, I get a new insight that's helped deepen my gratitude for teachers because there's no doubt that is not a 9-to-5 job. It's not 8-to-4 either. From my view, I get to see the teachers at all of these schools, public and private, and even some homeschool families, immersing themselves in exercising the teaching gift that God has given them. And then not only as a parent do I hope that we're going to commend others, but as a parent, I hope that you'll also commend your children's teachers. If you ever have to go to them and talk about a problem, do you begin by thanking them? Do you start by over and over again saying thank you for the ways that they're impacting your child before you bring up the issue that you want to try and fix? Do you ask your teachers, how can I be praying for you? How could I be a prayer partner to you? Are you available to volunteer in their class sometime to be able to help them with them some things? Because it's not a job that's easy to do by themselves. Or maybe, if it's not all that, Maybe you can just drop off their favorite beverage at the beginning of the morning to give them a little bit of pickup. I also want you to consider here what happens on Sunday. I mean, Think about the hundreds of teachers across all of our three campuses associated with the ministries week in and week out. They are doing exactly what Paul commanded Timothy to do, taking pains in these things, being absorbed in them. And so I would ask, do you take the time, parents, to thank the Sunday school teachers in how they're seeking to love your children? How about the youth leaders? How about your small group leaders? I want us to thank the Lord for the teachers who make it a priority to immerse themselves in their craft and that they also do so as Paul is challenging them to do it with authenticity. The use of the gift of teaching is not meant to be a show. But authenticity of it will show God's work in you. Take a look at how he finished verse fifteen when it says, "So that your progress will be evident to all." Okay, John Stott continued on this thought, and he says the example which Christian leaders set then, whether in life or in their ministry, should be dynamic and progressive. People should not be able to observe not only, or should be able to observe not only what they are but what they're becoming, supplying evidence that they are growing into maturity in Christ. Some Christian leaders imagine that they have to appear perfect, with no visible flaws or blemishes. But there are at least two reasons why this is a mistake. First, it is hypocritical. Since none of us is the paragon of all virtues, it is dishonest to pretend to be. And secondly, the pretense discourages people who then suppose that their leaders are altogether exceptional and even Inhuman. Paul himself conceded that he had not arrived. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. In the same way, we should not give the false impression that we have reached our goal. On the contrary, we are still, or we sti- um, we are still on the road. Still pilgrims. It's my prayer for our pastoral team as well as all of our teachers that when you see us, you see us fully open and transparent our flaws, our inadequacies, our failures, but that you see Christ working in us to grow us so that we can walk alongside you in the teaching and the exhortation with God's Word. And even for myself, think about it. I may have been in the Navy for 30 years, but I'd never been a preacher until five years ago. Yet while I was in seminary, Pastor Brent challenged me to teach a new singles group. And then when Pastor Viers hired me, he immediately put me into the preaching rotation. You know, folks, preaching isn't just something you can study in books. You have to do it. And like so many things, you have to practice. And you have to learn and we have to grow And I'm I'm so thankful for the examples of the other pastors here at our church that I get to watch because it helps me to grow. To be able to observe David and Alfonso and Sam, Pastor Viers, Pastor Oaken. I'm also thankful that Pastor Byers' heart is to develop and grow our pastoral team. You know, he'd have every right to say, I'm preaching every Sunday from Faith East and we would all be watching it up on that screen and seeing him right now. He could do that but he chose a number of years ago to say I wanted to build a team. Take a look at the Scripture he tells us, he uses when he thinks about that. He said, these things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that's Paul speaking, but Paul said, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Growing others who will. So growing the gift of teaching. Pastor Byers serves us well. But opening up the pulpit to us, I pray that we serve all of you well by immersing ourselves and growing with authenticity in the use of our gift of teaching. And that's why our team here at Faith North wants to commit to all of you that we will take pains with these things, that we will be absorbed in them so that your progress, so that our progress would be evident to all of you. And so with growth and progress in our teaching, We have to acknowledge, though, there is also the danger of pride. And thus, we take on Paul's fourth challenge for those called to be teachers. He tells us to adopt the teacher's humility. Paul first said to give attention to the Word, and then he said, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Pay attention to yourself. This is similar to what Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 when he said, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. The challenge to us as teachers, be on guard for yourself, be on guard for those you teach, particularly in where we are first called to use the gift of teaching which is in the church. And not just because you all are just a bunch of nice people, but because God purchased His church, all of us, with His very blood. That should give us the motivation for why we want to take every step. Make, to take pain in this. To immerse ourselves. If God gives the gift then He also has a plan for where it's to be used. And so as we pay attention, we need to pay attention for using our gifts where and how God intended. And as to the where, we look back and we see it again in the verse I used at the beginning of the day. As each one has received a special gift, employ it where? In serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What that means is that these gifts are given to us to be used first and foremost in the context of local church ministry, And so then that says, but what about the person who might say, well, I teach outside, in the world, all throughout the week. Does that mean you really want me to teach here? Well, the answer to that is, I would love to see you consider that. Now, we're not going to get legalistic about it, but I am going to challenge us that we should be looking at what is God calling us to do. And ultimately, it's going to be a matter between you and the Lord but is it really just of a matter of well, I do it all week and so I can't or is it that we just don't want to and so if God has gifted you should the Lord and his people receive the first and our best fruits and then within this challenge we have to take this challenge to adapt adopt the teacher's humility as you pay attention to yourselves and pay attention to your teaching because even though you may be able to see those who are sitting right in front of you, here's the thing. Who is hearing you when you teach that you can't see? It applies to all of us who have a teaching role, not just in the classroom or in the church house. What about for parents? As a parent, do you pay attention to the teaching even when you think your children are not watching? Well, how soon do we see little toddlers picking up the words that we speak when they don't even know the meaning of them? Or what about when we have a teen who is rebelling and complaining because of a teacher or a coach who did not acknowledge the amazing work that they had just done. And we come back upon them not seeing the fact that what they had just watched was how we complained and rebelled against our boss when our boss didn't see the amazing work that we had just done. And so it's a serious caution for us today to pay attention, not just when you're teaching, but when you're not teaching as well. I mean, Because if you choose not to teach your children on a subject because it's hard, if you choose not to teach your children on a subject because it's uncomfortable, well, know that you are making a decision. Because someone will teach your children. If not you, do you trust their friends to teach them what you would want them to hear? If not you, do you te- Do you trust the internet to teach them just what you would want them to hear? And so Paul's word says, be on guard. And being on guard is not just for the home and the church, but we'll also see its impact in every part of our life. Now sometimes we're using the gift of teaching in a formal manner, and we need to embrace the focus on God's word to teach with humility and keep our priorities aligned. And sometimes... We're simply teaching by how we live our lives. And we still need to do these same things for us. And so this challenge, really, as we look at it, is for each and every one of us. Father, mother, son and daughter, friend, coworker, volunteer, teacher, teacher's assistant. Should I just say all of us? Yeah, I probably should. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we all need to pay attention to our teaching. Because whether we think we're teaching or not, someone is watching and learning. And so ask yourself, what will they learn? Is it a testimony of Christ's work in you? Or will they just see you? There's no greater lesson that you can, than you can use the gift of teaching for them to teach the gospel and to teach the Gospel with humility. I want others to be able to see what God has taught me. I want them to be able to see that I was shown that I'm a sinner. That I'm in need of a Savior. That my sin deserves a penalty and that penalty is death. And that there's no way for me to be able to pay that penalty on my own. But God being rich in mercy, through His grace, sent His only Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, a penalty that I could never pay for myself. And so based on grace alone, through faith, I've been saved. Not based on any works of my own. And the beauty of that gift is that salvation is available to all who would believe. Is that the teaching? that our lives are giving. Remember, it says the spiritual gifts are given to each one of us in a variety, in different levels. I believe every one of us has the opportunity and the gift to be able to teach the gospel in that way. And so while you consider that, I want us to take a look at the one last challenge that comes from this passage, and that's that we might celebrate the teacher's impact. Perhaps that doesn't sound like a fifth challenge, but until we realize, it says you have to persevere in order to get the benefits of this verse. Now we have teachers around faith, Sunday school teachers who don't count their time teaching in weeks or months, even years. We have some that count it in decades. Decades long before Faith North even was. In other words, they didn't quit. They persevered. And in this verse, it affirms. It says, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and those who hear you. Now I realize you might say, how could that be? Perseverance will confirm your salvation. Well, we know what it does not mean. It cannot mean that the faithful teacher earns his or her salvation by exercising the gift But the fact that he or she has lived in a way with persevering affirms to all who are watching the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in and through the ministry. Because ultimately, who is the great teacher? Christ Himself. And so we're not talking this morning about you becoming the best version of yourself. We're talking about you becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ so that the sincerity and genuineness of your salvation will be evident to all. And then, amazingly, your faithfulness may be used to draw someone else to the Savior. And do this, you'll ensure your salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Is there any greater reason to exercise the gift of teaching? I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the Lord. I have no greater joy than to see all of our church family walking in the Lord. And again, if you're here today and you have questions about Jesus and you're wondering, what does this have to do with me? Well, I'm going to tell you, I believe this teaching was for you today as well. Because it's teaching us that we can know what it means to have eternal life. Simply to know that God gave this gift so that there's someone around you who will share the Gospel with you so that you might be drawn to the Lord today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise You today. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and the opportunity. Lord, may You ever be glorified by the teaching and the preaching of Your Word. Lord, that it might show the evidence of your work in and through all of your children here at Faith North, across all of our campuses, and Lord, most importantly, that the teaching and the preaching of your word, the use of the gift of teaching and exhortation, Lord, that it would be used in a way that draws others into your presence, Lord, that they might come to believe and know who you are and to know eternal life. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.